Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. We are thrilled to join you on 610 ESPN, ready to help you move into the weekend talking about all the news in the world of sports. Jeff, I am glad to have you back in studio this week. I want to hear later about the anxiety-inducing game you saw against Army. Can, I just, say, can I just say this now? Phew. <laughs> Believe right. me. That we'll, sums it up. We'll get there. Yeah. Um, I know you didn't get to catch many of the games. You've been stuck at your, your other day job that we, we do as well. So um, <laughs> did you see that there were 90 combined touchdowns in week one in the NFL? That is the most in Super Bowl era. Yeah. And then what happened this third? What happened last night then? Weather. <laughs> Weather. It actually was that very was nice awful, after the rain that delay. That was an awful game. It's Thursday night football. Oh it's my. never good. I know. But so can I can I start my annual lobbying campaign to remove Thursday night football? But did you watch? Yeah, it was awful. So again, it, why it would they awful. stop showing it if you watch it? Well, I have a quarterback from one of those teams, but oh, a, qu- but, a but quarterback. Not, but he did not play. Wait, he, I did not did have Jeff me. Cohen just say that he was interested in a sports game because he had a fantasy player or some type of gambling interest in the game. I, I did it for you. That you wouldn't have I watched. I did it for you. Because, Mr. Oh, yeah. I don't know the impact of gambling, how that works, if it helps the ratings. He <laughs> sat there last night and watched the game so he could see the quarterback pile up a couple extra points. Uh-huh. Who'd you have in the game, Cam or Jameis? Cam, I, I have. So how frustrated are you? They didn't just sneak it on. Well, fourth no, and no, half no, because he, I didn't have him in. Because <laughs> oh. I have Carson Wentz. Wait, so you watched a game that you have a player have, on that sat I on the have, bench? I have Carson. Oh, Wentz. you truly are a fantasy guy now. <laughs> I have Zach Ertz. <laughs> okay, uh, I'm I'm rocking some Eagles. Then you had a good week last week. No, because because we didn't set it up until this week. Oh God! Gotcha. So we missed week one. So you missed Wentz's 300 yeah. yard performance. I was down there actually, yeah. so I know you didn't catch the game. Did mm-hmm. you see anything about it? I saw it? it afterwards. I have never heard a roar as loud as when they introduced Deshaun Jackson. It was ever. Were, it, you, were you, did you not watch when they won the Super Bowl and like the, I have the, the I first was game not of the next season? I was not in the stadium for those. Oh, for well, games that I've. And so, so are you like the tree in the forest guy? If you if it, you're not there, then the sound didn't happen. We talked before the show about the story of my life. If I had a book, would be I didn't know. <laughs> so yeah, no, it was it was really loud and people were excited. And then there was some booing because uh, it wasn't the way the people had hoped. But in the end, it was a beautiful day for a game. All right. Well, so I I got to call you out on on, on what on one thing what because because all I heard and and luckily I didn't listen to you in fantasy draft either was that Miles Sanders was going to be the guy. He would have had a touchdown if they didn't actually call the penalty on Ortega okay, Whiteside, and but, he was but, the but, guy for them. You, okay, so how many receptions did he have? Uh, only a couple, but he had a couple mm, of runs. Mm-mm. One. One. Okay. Four. So two yards. Okay, so and you're then, judging he, the rookie by his first game performance. No, no I'm, I'm, I'm on a running play that his no, best play was called back on a holding that the no. NFL admitted didn't exist. Heel. Is that no. how we're doing this? <laughs> no. What I'm saying is, is that I told, I warned everybody not to exact overreact. Wait, is this one a, way or the other? Is this our and, Jeff and, needs to be right moment of the show? Well, is this, is this, well, that's pretty much all the. All is this the where we are right show. now? No, but I Jeff, said, you were right. <laughs> I said, do not overreact. Give this guy time and don't jump all over him if he doesn't have a hundred yard rushing day. So in the game funny one. thing is, so. I was basically you sitting in the stadium because. 
I was saying. No, you I, weren't. No, no. I was sitting I there. see over the people in front of me. All right. So <laughs> shots fired that early in the show. I see where we're going. I'm tired. Hey, I, cranky. I see, I see That's you're right. cranky. I, I was sitting there watching the game going, I don't understand why is Jordan Howard on the bench. He was standing <laughs> on the sidelines and he was running so well. Yep. And they were they were trying to establish it with Miles Sanders. You can why? see. Why? why? Because, because they see the talent in him. And they. I, I happen to think that in that type of game, they thought that the defensive line Whatever for the Whatever happened to going different. with the hot hand? They went with Sproles, man. That was uh, he got much more in the way of touches than I thought that right. he would get. They were very. But you say saying Jordan Howard was doing well. I agree with you. Well, well, then why not run him more? They traded to get him. I understand. Look, Miles Sanders had eleven carries on uh, for twenty-five yards. Mm-hmm. It doesn't reflect the touchdown he would have had if the Arthago Whiteside holding wasn't called back. Jordan Howard averaged seven point three yards a carry. Yeah, but he wouldn't. The, the holes in the protection wouldn't have been there otherwise. No, he was already into the secondary when they called the the holding. Anyway, Jordan Howard had six carries for 44 yards. Averaged seven yards a carry. I just thought that he was the hot hand. Every time he touched the ball, he was getting chunk plays. I was surprised he wasn't in the game more. Here's the thing. He's the kind of running back that the more he gets it, the better better he he does. And you now have a defense that is going to be a leaky sieve all season. Okay, You've lost two two of your defensive players, Grigier Hill. And now you lost Malik. You have to hold on. Time of possession matters now. And the more you can run it and have that you have the talent to run it, the more you should because it keeps the defense off the field and fresher. It's funny you say that. There was a minute, about three minutes left in the first quarter. I looked up at the clock. They have the stats there in game all game long. And the time of possession was like 10 minutes to two minutes for Washington. Mm-hmm. And after that point is when it really started to turn around. Now, they had some early penalties and things that took them out of rhythm. In the end, though, Carson Wentz had himself a day. Uh, 28-39 for 313 yards. Uh, I mean, he completed eight of nine attempts under pressure for 132 Mm -hmm. yards. He was fantastic on third down. It... Do you? How do you feel about Carson Wentz after Game One? And don't tell me I drafted him, long, so I must have been as long as good. he doesn't get hit, because <laughs> that's what Randall on a different show would say that he's just waiting for him to get hit. Which means what? He got hit. He he doesn't believe that he will hold up to the. Look, he, uh, I get tired of that argument because you can say that pretty much about every quarterback in the NFL except Tom Brady, right? So uh, yeah, any quarterback can get hit. I always worry more about when they, when they get hit and fall down, and that when they if they brace their arm and break their wrist, that's that's always the biggest. How concern. Sudfeld basically but that, hurt himself. Yeah, but that anybody look, everybody wanted Nick Foles to stay here because Wentz was supposedly injury prone, and now Nick Foles broken unfortunately has one. a broken collarbone. Deshaun Jackson picked up right where he left off. Uh, eight pass, eight catches on oh. ten passes. Hey, what do you mean right where he left off from where? Uh, the last time he was with the Eagles, <laughs> he's still running for touchdowns. And he, he has not stopped doing I'm like, where he left off. The, that was a long time the ago. The exact same thing for 154 yards and two touchdowns, two uh-huh. bombs. They were Wentz's longest completions of the season. Last year, in 11 games without Deshaun, he had one touchdown of 50 plus yards. This year, in one game, he has two touchdowns for 50 plus well, yards. I, I just think that, that having, having him on the field regardless of how he does, makes their offense better. It opens everything up. Yeah. If you look at the the breakdown, I was I was telling you before the show, I was watching Fran Duffy's breakdown of it, and he, he diagrammed how they basically used Jackson to manipulate 
different players on the field in the defense either show the defense that Washington was going to run mm-hmm. or to set it up in a coverage package. They wanted to get a matchup out there with something. Right. It, it was just really impressive how they used him. Your thoughts overall on the offense. The offensive line, I thought, played great. Mm-hmm. Brandon Brooks played 50 snaps. He was on about a 30-snap count. Um, it, was a, it was a rusty, sloppy first half. Game one, that's what you expect, and then look how quickly everything started to click. I think the offense, as long as people stay healthy, is going to be really good. I just think that the defense is – I, I don't expect any 14-10 games with the Eagles this year. No, they're going to be shootouts. Yeah. Malik Jackson down for the season. But that's what the league wants. With a Liz Frank uh, injury in his foot. Happened on the last drive of the game. Other than that, you would have gotten out pretty much unscathed, so that's a, a tough loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, sign a player who was with the Dolphins last season for 16 games. So you've got another big body in there. I had seen people say, oh, you move a defensive end inside. I, I would prefer that them have – Another big body. They're already thin at end to begin with. Getting anybody from the Dolphins doesn't mean anything. He wasn't on the Dolphins this year. It was last year. <laughs> they were Would you trade for Minka Fitzpatrick, the cornerback now who wants out from the Dolphins? He's. I don't know what they'd be asking, but I mean, to me, the secondary is a big concern. Right. You, you saw them get beat no, a few times. I think it was a concern before this. We thought we talked about it before the season started that the the secondary and the linebacking core was was the weakness of the team. Is that if if you got past the first line of defense, there was there's a real risk of guys just taking it to the house or having 20, 30 yard runs. Any other thoughts about what you saw in week one? Grujay Hill back on the practice field this week, not ready for gameplay, but working his way back. What's the latest? Like how how long is it going to be? I still think he's going to be a couple weeks away before he makes it back into a game. We got to hope so. Um, he's he's because he, just because of his athleticism. Barnett played well. For his first game back, I still have concerns. Uh, his shoulder was wrapped earlier this week. Mm-hmm. So I still have concerns about his ability to last through the season. Right. Uh, but he has an opportunity this week. We'll get to Atlanta's line later after we talk a little soccer in a few minutes. Right. Uh, but he has a chance there. Any other thoughts on the team overall? How do you feel coming out of week one, seeing that they had a five-point win, which was basically just a backdoor cover? You gotta hope Carson Wentz is healthy and that the offense is just on. It's got just that. I don't know how else to say it. It's pretty simple. It's it's just whether the offense can score enough points and keep the defense off the field. Did you catch any other games this week? Mm. No. No. Don't worry. I'll I'll let you off the hook there. We'll we'll get to a little soccer. Uh, gonna bring on now Alexi Lawless. Alexi, you there? I am here, gentlemen. How are we doing? We're doing great. So, so Alexi, I have to start this with, with you have no idea how excited Jason is. Because we, we will often, no matter what sport we're talking about, we, t- we talk about my alma mater, Michigan. And he's a Rutgers grad. That's right. And he is <laughs> very excited very to have excited. a real Rutgers grad that, on the show right now. Very excited about this, Alexi. Thank you oh, for my goodness. bringing well, a little balance to the show wonderful. today. Are you? I love it. That's right. All right. I'm going to make you guys going to sign the. What we don't have in uh, in football, we make up in uh, in soccer and good looks. That's right. That's right. And we definitely don't have much of football, but that's a totally different story. (laughs) Hey, but hey, listen. Hey, Michigan's not not, you know nothing to talk about right now either. So the funny uh, thing, Jeff was actually there last week at the big house, and he's still coming down from the anxiety (laughs) and has no nails left after the army had that win. Well, and 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 Alexi, what you should know is that when it comes to football, Rutgers actually is better than Michigan in 
their locker room because we had the guy who designs locker rooms for colleges on, and he said the Rutgers locker room is state of the art in Michigan. So it's really bad. <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty well, sweet. I, I grew up in Michigan, and one of the reasons why uh, I ended up at Rutgers was because Michigan at that time didn't even have a soccer program, and so uh, I have no real connection to Michigan other than <laughs> other than growing up in Michigan. So yeah, they had a club good team. Bad on or off the field doesn't matter to me. Yeah, they had a they had a club team when I was there. <laughs> well, you you weren't quite in Jersey the other night you were out in st louis for the u.s uruguay match out there a little bit atmos- different atmosphere than the week before at the mexico game what's it been like for those men's national teams games the last few months it's you know it's just an amazing time right now uh whether you're into soccer or not I, i've never been at a moment in u.s soccer history when there is more um you know anger uh confusion sadness but really kind of apathy when it comes to the u.s men's national team now the absolute opposite is uh, is with the u.s women's national team but not qualifying for the world cup in 19 in 2018 in russia was was huge and it just has had this cascade ripple effect onto so many different things but really what we're looking at right now each and every time the men's team now gets to play is a lot of people with their arms crossed and rightly so and and that's completely fair saying this team isn't good or is this team going to be good why should i spend my time watching a team that didn't qualify for the world cup uh, last time is this team going to qualify and even that is a question right now And, and despite the failure from a couple years ago it still should not be a level of accomplishment for the U.S. men's national team to qualify. So the new coach in Greg Berhalter, I think each and every time, it's a battle for hearts and minds to win over, yes, the soccer people, but I think just to win over the general public as to give them a belief that this is heading in the right direction and that this will come to fruition in 2022 in Qatar and then obviously in 2026 when the U.S. hosts the men world, men's World Cup for the first time since 1994. They're clearly in a transition phase under Greg Berhalter. I saw you say, I think it was on your, your weekly podcast that you do, that he's trying to paint the Sistine Chapel with crayons. Uh, is yep. he the right coach at the right time, and is he going about it the right way? I think he's the right coach. I got a lot of time and respect for Greg Berhalter. And look, I know you guys talk about a lot of other sports, and, and this, is a, this is an evergreen type of question when it comes to all sports. And all teams and all, and all coaches go through it. Do you have the system and then, then go get the players that fit that system? Or do you look at the players that you have and then adjust the system according to the players? And I think right now, Greg Berhalter has come in. And maybe it's because of that failure that he's been able to come in and say, look, we're going to throw everything out. Or we're going to start again and we're going to do something big and bold. Well, be careful what you wish for because a lot of people want to see a more evolved and progressive type of play. And that's what Greg Berhalter is certainly implementing. But in order to do that, you're going to have to fail. And they failed epically the other day against Mexico. And it was this, you know, you guys, have you guys ever seen the movie Tin Cup? There was this Tin Cup type of moment where rather than be, do, be pragmatic and safe and do what, to be quite honest, we would have done in the past in the way that we played, he, he just kept going for the green over that water as opposed to laying up. It's one and of the best scenes a, in sports movies. movies. <laughs> it, and there's it's a, a beauty in it. It's a great way to describe. Ultimately, it's about winning in sports, as you guys know. It's a great way to describe what they did because they they did exactly that. They just kept going for it, despite the fact they kept dunking it in the water. It was it was it turned into an ugly loss. And, you know, you, you have the hope there. You mentioned the players. Is is this something that they have the players in the system to bring them up to do this or do they need more of a youth movement to bring up some of those players right. to move away from the veterans where are we with the talent right now for men's soccer 
Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it goes back to what I said earlier in that there's this desire to have this team provide hope. Well, how do you provide hope? Well, you start to win. And, and that applies to all sports. And yet, this isn't necessarily the worst thing in the world, because as I said, big, bold, grand type of change is difficult. If you just want to be this, a, a better version of yourself, that is both quicker and easier. If you want to do something completely different and be something you've never been, which is what Greg Berhalter believes in, that, is that, that, that takes much longer and that, is, and, and that is much harder. So I think maybe he does not have, and you know, I use the Sistine Chapel and Crayons type of analogy, I don't think he has the tools and the quality of tool right now to, to create this masterpiece and the beauty that he wants. But it doesn't mean that by doing this, he's not establishing, look, this is what we need. And every player that's coming up recognizes that. And by the way, every coach that uh, is out there recognizes that if you want to play for the national team, these are the types of things that you have to do that you haven't been tasked with doing in the past. It's a, it's a fascinating case uh, study. I don't know how this is going to end. Obviously, everybody just wants to win. But I think many years from now, we're going to look, look back, whether it's a, a success or failure, and, and be fascinated at how this all played out from a psychological perspective, both for the players and the coaches that are there, but also from the greater American soccer community and how we respond to this. Is, is it one of those situations where maybe you should be playing more of the kids that actually had were playing with crayons just a few years ago and letting, <laughs> letting them develop together? For example, we get this, we get the, we're lucky enough to cover people like Brendan Aronson. Uh, people that have grown up in the system in American soccer and now are starting to succeed. But Brendan obviously has a ways to go. The talent is there. Is is he and, and people that are his age, would it be better if, if we're going to fail anyway at this level, is, would it be better to have them playing together for a longer period of time with an eye on 2022 and 2026? It would, but once again, be careful what you wish for because there are costs to that and maybe they're not maybe that maybe and there's a price to that and maybe people aren't willing to pay that and this is what i mean by that we live in in my estimation in the greatest country in the world the thing that makes us great i think is the diversity that we have but that same diversity makes it incredibly challenging and difficult to put 11 uh men on the field to represent this country because everybody has a different idea of how the game is, should be should be played we don't have any shared type of history and therefore a general understanding and agreement as to how we're going to play the game and that's because we have all of these different ideas and all these different communities and cultures and and histories and backgrounds and we try to mix it all together and it's very very difficult but if you're going to establish Hey, regardless if it's Greg Berhalter or anybody else, whoever comes in and says, this is how we are going to play, what it means is you are going to be more exclusive as opposed to inclusive. And that scares a lot of people to say that. But what you're doing is you're establishing this is how the team's going to play. If you want to play for this team, you have to be able to fit that template out there. And it doesn't mean that just because you are a good player, okay, doesn't mean that you get to play for the national team. There might be some very, very good players that don't fit that. And once again, it gets back to this whole thing of, uh, of is that the right way to go? Or do you just recognize that there's so many different ways of thinking it, and we're just going to try to fit them all together and create this, this new thing? That's much harder, and that's, and that's certainly more difficult to do. It's not that it can't be done. But this is, this is the unique aspect of American soccer that a lot of people either don't realize or don't want to talk about. Okay, so then the question becomes, is, is Greg Berhalter the guy that has enough influence in U.S. soccer to implement whatever his vision so that everybody comes together? 
for the players that fit whatever system they choose? Or is there anybody in U.S. soccer that can do that? You know, I think that Greg Berhalter for this particular task is as good as anybody out there. And it doesn't mean that there aren't others with more experience that could come in. But I think because he is this true believer and this romantic in what he wants to do, and he wants to do something bigger and different and special, I think he is, is certainly one of the men or, or women that could possibly come in and do this. Having said that, there are others that argue, and I could certainly get on this side, where you come in, and especially with a national team, where it's not day in and day out. And so you don't have that progress and that understanding and that development and then that weekly ability to assess on the weekend uh, for those games, that, 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 that it might be better to be more pragmatic and just be a better version of yourself and take what we've done in the past and just make it better as opposed to trying to make so many people so uncomfortable and taking them out of their comfort zone in so many instances that it's just very, very difficult. And it's going to take so long. And in that time, by the way, you're going to lose people that are just going to lose faith and not pay attention. Uh, but, you know, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. I think, I think for me, I, I love that there is the opportunity to do something that we've never seen before. And there is also the, there is also the potential for it to completely go to hell and to fair, fail miserably. But even if it fails miserably, there's a, there's a romantic part of me that says it was worth doing. And there'll be a lot of debate for people like us to have if it does fail miserably or if it does yeah, go oh, well. It gives, us, hey, it gives us plenty of content. You guys know that. That's, plenty uh, to talk that's about. That's what we all want. And, I mean, you talk about a team that sort of is at the pinnacle, sort of the opposite of where they are is the women's team. I mean, you were here. We were, we were there for the game at Lincoln Financial Field a few weeks ago where they set the attendance record for just a friendly. A, a friendly. Uh, talk a little bit about what you've seen with that team and, and where they stand right now at this moment in time, given the history they've made already and the barriers they keep trying to break going forward. Yeah, well, they, are, they are rock stars. Uh, they, are, they are legends, not just for women's soccer or American soccer, but for, for sports. And, they, and, they, and in many instances, they've transcended the sport and uh, they've entered into that whole uh, cultural experience and pop culture and, and everything else. And it's because uh, they win. They win consistently. They win when people are all, always expecting them to win. They're big, bold, fearless uh, personalities on and off the field. They believe in what they're doing. They love to break down barriers. Uh, they love to be disruptors. All of those different things have, have played into why they, uh, why they are so popular. And by the way, it, 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 I don't know if it's hurt. It hurt is the right word. But it makes it that much more challenging and difficult when you juxtapose it with the men for the men because they're constantly being compared and contrasted with the women. Now, whether that is fair or not, that's, that's for another day and another debate. But that is constantly happening. And you're dealing with the greatest team in the world, one of the greatest teams ever to play the game, that consistently gives the people what they want and gives the American people what they want, which first and foremost is a winner and a winner that they can count on in a game that traditionally, and, and a lot of this applies to the, the men's side, we have not been able to dominate. And a winner with personalities. I mean, real, yep. real personalities of the game. Yep, and people, and people want to see that. And whether you like, I, I love sports because of the personalities. I love sports because of the narratives and the stories and the, the heroes and you know, the, uh, the villains out there and the good and the bad and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's great. I mean, this summer when I was working uh, over in France doing the Women's World Cup, you know, when that, uh, when that, when that 11 or 13 nothing game uh, 
uh, what was it? Thirteen hundred water. Thirteen hundred. Yeah, that was. Yeah. I mean, it was crazy. It, that was mana from heaven, as far as a TV, from a TV perspective. <laughs> it changed everything. And as you guys know, people that weren't didn't really care about soccer or weren't even necessarily watching, or were just going to wait till later, automatically because of the celebration and the debate as to was it uh, you know was it you know were, were they being was it good sportsmanship and all that kind of that's that's all great stuff. And you know the Megan Rapinos of the world and and the way that. You know, they, they interacted uh, off the field and with the president and all that. That was all wonderful stuff for us to talk about. But ultimately, through all of that controversy and all of those different stories that were churning, they backed it up on the field. And that's what I think people ultimately appreciate uh, about this team. Which, in the end, it wouldn't have been as significant, the things they were doing and saying, if they didn't back it up with their play. Which... Yeah, and that's what they, they have built their, you know, their entire mythology uh, on. And, and it's it's wonderful because obviously it's soccer. And look, I, as long as I don't care if it's men's, women's, co-ed, naked, doesn't matter. As long as people are kicking a ball, I love it. And I am forever going around and talking about this game that I love because I've seen, you talked about Rutgers. When I was at Rutgers back in the, in the 80s, the soccer landscape was very, very different. And look, we got a long way to go, but sometimes we kick ourselves for what we haven't done as a soccer playing nation. And, and every once in a while, I like to pat ourselves on the back for how far we've actually come. It's unprecedented when you put it up with uh, every other culture and country and, and leagues around the world, how far we've gotten. We've still got a long way to go. And I, when I say the development of soccer, it's not men's, women's, it's just soccer. And the women's team in particular have done a tremendous job of driving home Yes, the, the importance of women's soccer, but more importantly, just the importance of soccer out there. They are, they are not women's soccer stars. They are soccer stars. I do want to get to the local angle here with the union and the excitement they're creating, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask. You got to talk to Carly Lloyd right after the game. There's another personality for you. We've had her on the show. She made some headlines potentially getting offers to kick in the NFL. Uh, your thoughts on that whole situation? I know you got to ask her about it. Yeah, it was, it, you know, like I've, I've known Carly for a long time and I, I love her. And you talk about a legend, uh, both from a Rucker standpoint and from a soccer standpoint, what, what she has done is, is incredible. Um, and I've never met a more competitive athlete uh, in, in my time covering the sport. So, you know, the whole, the whole football thing, I love it. I love that she, uh, you know, uh, both her and, and her and, and all the women are really, really savvy and they're really, really smart and they understand how media works. And they understand leverage. They understand how to use it. And I love that she used the NFL, and to, and to a certain extent, the NFL uh, uh, used her in this moment. And you, you know, she got that that, uh, that that glint in her eye when I asked her the question. She wasn't going to give too too much away. But look, um, every soccer player, man or woman, at some point has found themselves when they're when they're growing up or wherever um, on a, on an American football field, kicking field goals. And inevitably, you'll hit a long one, and everybody will turn around and go, "Hey, you should do that in the NFL." We all know as soccer players that just because you can kick a football through the uprights uh, a long distance on a field does not make you a place kicker. And Carly Lloyd knows that better, uh, better than anybody. But having said that, if her only job is to walk on the field and to hit, uh, and to hit uh, field goals, nobody's going to ask her to tackle anybody. This whole disingenuous uh, side of people saying, oh, she's going to get hurt. We're really worried for her safety. No, you're not. You're not worried about Thank her safety. You. As a matter of fact, a lot of people <laughs> want to tune in specifically to watch her get crushed by a 300-pound man. I bet and you she would be a great tackler. Are, I have no, no doubt. But, 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 it's, but the whole point is that 
any place kicker is never asked to do anything anyway. Most no, Justin Justin Tucker. Justin Tucker's made five tackles his whole career, <laughs> career and and nobody questions so whether look, he's a I good kicker. Put a pastor, it, it would be wonderful to see. I would love to see what it looks like. I would love to see the reaction and the consternation out there from a lot of people who say she can't do it, but either in a, in a veiled reference to the fact that she can't do it because she's a woman. If she fails. It's not because she's a woman. It's just because she wasn't good enough. All yep. right. All right. So now I got a question. You said every, every soccer player at one point or another has gone through this. When you were at Rutgers, did, did, were you on a football field trying field goals? <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I was out there. And actually, we played on the practice uh, football field up there at, the, at Rutgers. So we always had the, the uprights up there and stuff like that. But, but you know, once again, while, while we enjoyed um, – you know, poking the bear, if you will, that is that is football and saying, hey, look how easy it is. All of us. And I actually I lived with football players when I was at Rutgers. You know, I, I understood, uh, first off, what the game was in general. But I also understood from a kicking perspective how very different the kicking is and the ability to only take two steps and the ability to get it up and over. And, you know, the ability in terms of the pressure that's involved. And it's very, very different than an isolated type of uh, an insulated type of situation out there. Now, the pressure for Carly Lloyd. I mean, look, she's, she's been the player of the year. She's won World Cups. We've all played in front of thousands of people. As a matter of fact, a lot of soccer players have played in front of much bigger crowds than football players out there. So that wouldn't, that wouldn't be necessarily such a big deal. But I think we're all realistic as to the specific tools that you need and the, uh, the abilities uh, and the skill that it takes to do that specific position and doesn't necessarily relate to how good you are as a soccer player. I could keep asking you so many other questions, so I'll have to ask you back another day. But I did want to, uh, before we let you go, get your sense of the union. They've got a huge matchup with LAFC here this weekend. Uh, I can't wait to be down there and hear the energy at Talent Energy Stadium. You want to talk a little about what you're seeing with that, with the MLS and the union this year? Look, the Philadelphia Union, I got a lot of uh, respect for what uh, Jim Curtin has done down there. And you know, I think he'd be the first one to admit that, you know, had he probably been at some different teams over the, over the last few years, there's a good chance that he would have been moved on uh, and fired. He wasn't, and he's been given time to kind of figure it out. But even when you talk to Jim Curtin this year, I think it's also one of those things where he, you know, the best laid plans ultimately came to fruition and the, the best possible thing happened in terms of getting a group. Because when you look at the group, there, you know, there's not massive stars out there. Yes, there's some guys with good resumes out there, but it's not as if everybody is tuning in each week to see a Zlatan Ibrahimovic type of, of player or a Carlos Vela type of player out there. So it is that, that proverbial teamwork uh, and team is much more important than the individual. And I think you've got a great leader in, in Jim Curtin who has give, been given the time uh, in a unique situation there to get this right. I do think there's an element of they – Trying to put your finger on why it happened this year as opposed to any other years, I think is difficult, both from the outside looking in, from my perspective, and from the inside looking out. But you don't, you know, you don't have to answer that because whatever is happening right now, you keep doing it. And, I, and I've talked to Jim Curtin. It's not as if he's training the team differently or they're eating anything different. It's just the fact that he's got a good quality, solid uh, team. He's got some depth uh, that, that comes off the bench that makes a difference. All of those different things that everybody wants haven't been a whole lot of injuries out there. He's had players that he thought were going to be at a certain level that for whatever reason have come in and played at a high level. All the things that coaches talk about in a preseason in any sport have kind of have played out in a positive way for him. And that's why they're sitting in second place. But we all know 
So I'll find a well to make the playoffs, and maybe it's an accomplishment for a team like the Philadelphia Union that isn't a traditional type of playoff team, but they're not going to – they can't rest on their laurels, their, their, their laurels. And when it comes to MLS, it's about MLS Cup. So really, what you did in the regular season, you'll get a clap, you'll get a clap and maybe a pat on the back, but then what have you done for me lately? All right, it's Janet Jackson, and you've got you to gotta figure out how to parlay what you did in the regular season to the postseason, and unfortunately, it doesn't always translate. Well, as we get closer, we would love to have you back on, talk about that and everything else. But we really appreciate the time you gave us today and the takes you had. Thanks, guys. All right. Are you? <laughs> there we go. That's right, Jeff. You heard that. Wow. You, you, have, a, you have a great one. Thanks, man. Jeff, that, that's... Look I, at you. You're beaming. Uh, it's a Rutgers You're guy beaming. on the show. We've never had anybody go, go, are you? I get kind of excited when yeah. there's somebody there backing me up. We're going to have to have like a Roy Hinson or somebody like that on. Uh, we'll see if I'm still beaming yeah. through the break. When we get back, we're going to talk lots of fantasy sports. Stick with us. Sports lets people live their dreams, overcome obstacles, and achieve goals. But what's your unimaginable? Do you want to be a part of something bigger than yourself? To push your limits? The A-Fatty clothing brand believes we're all capable of going far beyond we previously imagined to overcome your obstacles and achieve your goals. Life gives you the chance to push harder, to dream bigger, and to do whatever it takes to conquer the unimaginable. And to do it with A-Fatty on you, the original street leisure clothing brand. Taking you into the weekend with the latest news in the world of sports. With the biggest names on and off the field. It's the Heart of Sports each and every Friday at 4 p.m. on 610 ESPN with former players, reporters, and commentators like Adam Schefter, John Runyon, Keith Jones, Trey Thomas, and Doug Glanville. Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen cover the agony and ecstasy of fandom while weaving in conversations about the impact of sports on society. That's the Heart of Sports, Fridays at 4 p.m. Welcome back to the Heart of Sports with Jason Springer and Jeff Cohen. Jeff, now that you are a fantasy expert yeah. with your league, I'm going to get you up to speed on something even deeper. A little daily fantasy, yeah. some gaming action. Albert Chen, are you there? I'm here. Thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Albert Chen, senior editor for Sports Illustrated, and Jeff has the book in his hand, author of Billion Dollar Fantasy. Yep, we were holding it up in our little pregame. I do have to ask a question, though, Albert. Could you pick a longer title? <laughs> I know. Seriously. But, that, uh, I'll, you know, we, I think I'll just go with Billion Dollar Fantasy. Right. There you go. Ignore but, everything else. Well, but know. for people yeah. who haven't seen it yet, go out and buy it because it really it, it doesn't read like a documentary documentary type book it reads like a novel and it's called billion dollar fantasy the high stakes game between FanDuel and DraftKings that upended sports in america and when you were writing this your goal was to make it more like a novel a character-based story as opposed to a fact-based story the facts sort of were the background to the characters in the foreground can you talk a little bit about where this came from for you the idea and the characters some of the more fun ones that you explored in the process here Sure. Yeah. I mean, it the, really it just started with these two companies, DraftKings and FanDuel, being all over the news. You know, go to uh, football season 2015, first few weeks. And, you know, as Trevor Noah at The Daily Show put it, you couldn't turn on the TV without seeing a zombie, a Kardashian, or a fantasy football ad. Um, <laughs> it was ridiculous. I mean, every 90 seconds, these uh, these companies were on. So, you know, they got massive very quickly um, all over everyone's, you know, living rooms. And then there was sort of a, a scandal because there was allegations of insider trading. But then what that turned into 
was attorney generals across the country looking at whether these were gambling operations. And so it was kind of a roller coaster startup story. Um, really, the end of the book is getting to this moment in 2019 when these companies are essentially sports betting companies and, and pretty well positioned for a larger landscape um, that I think is going to change dramatically over these next few years. But it's kind of a broad, big story where, you know, you can get into a lot of different themes. Um, but what I wanted to sort of bring to it was just kind of like a more sort of smaller, intimate story that tells this, this larger story, but through the lens of just like five or six characters, um, which include uh, the founders of, of both companies. Well, you, you start off the, the book with a bang with the first title, the title of the first chapter being Betting on Bar Brett Favre with Bar Mitzvah Money. Which otherwise so. is the story of my life, basically. <laughs> not, that, not that my mom wants to hear that. Sorry, mom. But, yeah, so, uh, so, you, so your book came, and that was the first thing I did, is I called Jason, and I said, I, I swear I haven't read the first chapter yet, <laughs> but I'm pretty sure it's about your, your life. <laughs> can, can you talk a little bit about what they tapped into? Jeff is now doing... Uh, fantasy league which is very exciting for me because he has finally embraced this but this was more than just the social aspect of fantasy this was daily fantasy this was more of an isolated thing where people were were literally trying to be their own general managers and then the amount of money that that became involved can you just talk about the growth that happened basically overnight with some of these companies yeah, I, it was really kind of um, just remarkable to watch. I mean, it did take a long time. FanDuel came along first, then it was DraftKings, and it was a, a slog to really get this business off the ground. But what they tapped into, you know, it was definitely a perfect storm of just like investor money coming in, but also technology, people starting to just go straight to mobile. And, and you know, once you got something that you you can play on your in your hands, like that is um, – that's huge. Now, the, the, you make a great point that these games, which were daily fantasy, and you can play, you know, um, every other day, every day if you want, um, depending on what sporting events are going on, you're winning money on a potentially daily basis, um, probably losing money more, more than often. But it's very different from the traditional season-long sports games that, you know, 50, 60 million Americans play. What this is, is just a kind of a, you know, fantasy on steroids. It really is just like all about the money. And you make a good point. I mean, the, it's, it's not really about the social aspect. It really is about the money at the end of the day. I mean, it, it reminded me, look, I, in my prior life, I've been open on the show that I, I did dabble in gaming a little bit and dabble. Um, dab, dabble occasionally. But the thing that I found interesting was the, the difference in the, in the companies. FanDuel, the chief marketing officer who you talk about was a mother of three from Scotland who wasn't even a sports fan. Uh, the, the CEO, her husband, wasn't a, a fan either. And, and you get into the boardroom with some of these people. T tell us a little bit about some of these characters because they seem kind of fascinating. The DraftKings guys, I think they called them suicide bombers because of how much money they raised and they wanted to blow the whole thing up. Yeah, absolutely. So the FanDuel, you know, both founding groups are, are interesting in, in completely different ways. The uh, guys from the UK were the Brits who didn't really, you know, a few of them followed some sports, but for the most part, they were not sports fans and certainly not fantasy sports fans. Um, the first chief marketing officer of FanDuel and co-founder of FanDuel was Leslie Eccles. 
And she was the one that kind of created the machine where they just did brilliant ways to acquire customers. Um, and that was because they, you know, were sort of outsiders who looked at this market and thought of sort of different ways to, to market this, this game. And they did local, you know, local radio was really effective for them. Um, papers, um, you know, in Philadelphia, in fact, like they, they really made a lot of strides in terms of um, hitting on the Philadelphia market because of just the, the level of passion there. So it, it's kind of an unexpected character there for sure. And then, you know, uh, Tom Griffiths, the chief product officer, also from, you know, PhD candidate at the University of Edinburgh and decides that he's going to leave his, his PhD um, program for this. And then the CEO is Nigel Eccles, who grew up on a dairy farm in Ireland and is still not a sports fan at all. And um, they were all you know, just entrepreneurs looking for a business, right? They're looking for a business, yeah. And they they were looking for something that would make them some money. Um, and they're they're no longer with the companies, but at DraftKings, the three guys are still there. As you said, Suicide Bombers. Their strategy was to raise an insane amount of money and burn through it all in terms of marketing, just to get their name out there and to catch up to the market leaders. And lo and behold, they were absolutely successful in doing that. Can you talk a little bit about the scandal in 2015 and, and how they got the attention of the FBI and the DOJ? And how they got through it. Yeah. Well, it all started with a New York Times story that presented sort of um, the story alleging that a DraftKings employee won $350,000 playing on FanDuel. Um, and the, the, you know, a lot of questions were raised there. Was he using insider information? Was he looking at other lineups, ownership percentages, you know, on and on and on. And he was actually pretty quickly cleared from, by an independent investigation, but it did sort of show, uh, put a spotlight on this industry where people were kind of wondering why employees were playing these games. I mean, it's kind of crazy. Um, but then what the scandal really became was whether or not these were, once there was a lot of scrutiny, the, the questions were about whether these were illegal gambling businesses. Um, you know, once those ads were out there, once the New York Times did the story and things start to snowball, then you had states shut down FanDuel and DraftKings in, in a handful of states, including New York for a while. Um, and how did they survive? Well, um, you know, a lot of it was just um, really having to pass bills at a state-by-state -state, uh, basis. Uh, you know, like New York passed a daily fantasy sports bill in August 2016, and Look, I know um, presenting the story where the climax of the story happens, like with passing of a state bill in Albany, may not sell a lot of books, <laughs> but the insanity was really getting to that point and, and getting to the point where they were just surviving through the, um, the fall. And really what it is about is just like the emotional ups and downs of, of both groups. They, were, they went through it all, and they made a lot of mistakes on, along the way, um, but you know, the companies survive. How close were they to going under? Well, they were, I mean, they were very close to, um, they were very close to being in big trouble. I mean, they were in big trouble. Um, you know, they, <clears throat> they would go into the office every day wondering, you know, what state was going to be next to shut them down. 
New York was kind of criti critical in August 2016 because um, actually it was the summer. It was before that. It was the summer of 2016 where they passed this bill. Uh, it really was like a 50-50 proposition whether or not that bill would have been passed. And, I mean, you had FanDuel employees, you know, the night before thinking that bill wasn't going to pass and saying, well, we had a great run because without New York, they don't have a ton of customers. They, they lose a huge chunk of customers, their biggest customer base, in fact. And, you know, without that, they would have been shut down. You know, another <clears throat> number of other reasons, payment processors were going to pull the plug on this thing that regulators were calling illegal gambling operations. So at, at many points, they were really close to going under. You do a lot of research before you write your books and write your articles. What was the thing that you took away from this that you didn't expect to find? Well, at the heart of this is it's a startup story. So it really is, it's not even a sports story. It's not even about gambling and fantasy sports. I mean, those, that's all sort of in the background. Um, it really is, what does it take to build a business like this and show others that this is something to believe in? I mean, at the end of the day, they raised hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars, which is kind of crazy. And And the other part of the story is just how they survived. And just kind of the resilience of these two companies, but also the role that chance and luck play in in startups and and in companies where it's all about timing. And look, it's huge to present a big vision, but if you are in the right place at the right time, that that is a, a massive, massive opportunity. So, so we go from those issues. Fast forward to 2018, and the Supreme Court allows legalized gambling. How has that changed things? Because it seems like these companies now, you know, if you look in New Jersey, I think DraftKings, like 50% of their business is is gaming, just like 10% is Delhi Fantasy. If I check on Jeff's phone, he probably has an app to go on DraftKings or something else. Now, By the way, he's pretending he doesn't know, but there's a FanDuel app on my phone. <laughs> there is a FanDuel app on his phone. So how has that changed the business? Are these gaming companies now as opposed to Delhi Fantasy companies? Um, they want to be um, gaming companies, and, and I think soon they will be. I mean, I think Daily Fantasy is becoming a very small part of their business. Now, it still is a big part of their business because gambling is illegal in, in the ma vast majority of states, but that's going to begin to change with the Supreme Court decision last year. So you're going to have more and more states going forward passing um, essentially – you know, uh, legalizing sports betting on a state-by-state -state basis. I mean, you, you can just look at New Jersey. I mean, you, you pick a great state because, yeah, I'm in New York. I can cross the George Washington Bridge. And once I'm in New Jersey, I can take out my phone and place a $20 bet on the New York Mets to win that. In fact, um, that would that be a night, bad bet. Fact, <laughs> that'd be a terrible bet. You're right. I don't know why I would even want to do that. Um, but you can also um, bet on who you know what's going to happen in the next at bat. How many runs are going to be scored in any? I mean, there are just a lot of different kind of variations that both these companies are really poised to take advantage of. Um, over the summer, there were more bets placed uh, in terms of overall handle in New Jersey than in Nevada, which means that New Jersey quietly became sort sort of the uh, sports betting capital of of the country. So. Things are changing pretty rapidly, and right now, um, these two companies and, and many, many others are just trying to position themselves 
best they can because there's just no question that this is going to be a massive, massive thing. So what do you see next? Do you see it similar to like in Europe where, where there's in, in sports, in arena betting? Is, is that where we're going with it, that literally... We're already there in some places. Pitch by pitch, throw by throw, you know, shot by shot, that this is this is where we're going to go next with this? Yes. I mean, there's no question about it. I, it that's what it is. I mean, it's not even... You, don't, you can be in an arena, um, you know, who knows, depending on the state. But, I mean, that's what's going to be kind of interesting is every state's going to be different. But, you know, the game changer is... Yeah, you can bet on games as you're watching them or somehow participate with them, whether it's from your living room couch or at an arena as the game is going on. And it just makes this game that is a 20-point blowout a lot more interesting, and you want to follow it because you are invested in how that game is going to actually um, play out. So that is sort of the um, that's the future. Uh, and I think like a lot of it is going to be the creativity on the part of the companies where that you can create your own bets, say um, that, okay, I'm predicting that, you know, the Patriots are going to, you know, drive, um, you know, have three first downs and this drive is going to end on a, on a field goal. And you can get sort of, you know, very large odds if you put down $5 to win, say $200. And I think like that's where kind of the potential is where, I mean, it really is endless, the, the different sort of variations of these games that there could potentially be. I mean, we think of it as, okay, I'm going to put $20 on, on the Patriots. But, man, there is a lot more than you, that you can do with just one football game. You mentioned the creativity. I'm a, I'm a marketer at heart. They, they were, they've been on the forefront of messaging. They've had partnerships with leagues, their ability to market themselves to get investors. What's the legacy of these companies going to be when we look back? Well, you know, the story's still being written, so we'll see where things go from here. I think right now they are pretty well positioned to be two of the biggest, if not the two biggest, sports gambling companies in America. They're going to be other players, of course, media companies, and, and you've got casinos that are interested you know, I think the legacy is, you know, this is a very, this, these last few years have been a very unique time. And I think almost a bridge from, you know, the traditional fantasy sports that so many people are aware of and play 50 to 60 million fantasy players out there to get from that to this, you know, world where gambling, you know, if you've got a phone and an internet connection, <laughs> you can place a bet at any time to make a you know, a, a sporting experience, just a lot more interesting. So that's what the future is. And I think the legacy is like, this was part of the story of how we got there. And that to me um, is going to be, you know, because the story is going to be so massive, I think it's a, it's a great window to how we got to that, um, that kind of new world that it will be soon for everybody. Well, we definitely encourage everybody to go out and pick up the book, Billion Dollar Fantasies, the high stakes game between FanDuel and DraftKings that upended America. Albert, thanks so much for hopping on with us and, and going through everything. We appreciate it. Hope to have you back another time in the future. Absolutely. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks. Have a great one. Jeff, yeah. 
I know that you found another chapter in his book. Oh, oh, oh wait. That I, um, I, describes I, I my wanna, life. I want to get it right. I want to get it so right. Go ahead. Go it, find I it. I mean, look, it's really not that hard. No, it's because it's when I was reading the book, it, it, you know, the bar mitzvah money thing was like the perfect opening to the book. And then they fa- you found and, the close that's and, and perfect. The, and then you get to to page two hundred, and there's actually a chapter, which, by the way, apropos, is actually chapter thirteen. Okay. It's called Jason's Delusion. So this is a perfect so, book so, for me. So I, I really think that as good as the book is, that he really missed it by not <laughs> including you as a major character in Look, the book. I would have taken some of those royalties. <laughs> um, now that our guests are gone, I believe you have yes. a bone to pick with Brett on the other side of the glass. You know, Brett, a good producer, when Alexi Lawless breaks out Janet Jackson, what have you done for me? Like, boom, that music should have come on. He thought that you'd have Googled the music because now he's got it stuck in his head. Can you tell him to go away? Go away, Jeff. Here's the problem. You actually got me scared with that because when I called him, I butchered his name. And he was just well, like, that's, who's that's, this? That's who's every... the producer? Oh, Wait, no. What his did name you... is Albert. What did you no, butcher? Albert. His um, name is Alexi. How hard Alexi. is that? So I said Alexa or something. And he was just like, who's this? And what are you talking to the Amazon thing? butchers the name. Oh, God. Brett, thanks for joining the show. You butchered the name? Yeah. Did Jeff not oh, spell it correctly? Man. I spelled it correctly. Alexi, if you're listening to the rest of the broadcast, we're sorry. Jeff, can you send him an apology email? <laughs> <laughs> so when he brought him up, I was like, uh-oh, he probably said something to Jeff. <laughs> By the way, I forgot to mention, I, I mean, I grew up in East Brunswick, so I, I saw him play when when I was, when Rutgers was right around the corner, so we did go to the soccer games, but yeah, didn't see him kick any field goals, but no. no. All right, where are we going next? We've got about... Five minutes left in the show. We're going to talk oh, Eagles I'll, Falcons. I'll, I'll tell you exactly where we're going to go. Where okay, Baker Mayfield. Because <laughs> You're on your I, I, I had to listen to the, the Baker Mayfield, Mayfield is the superstar of the league. Can you remind me what he did last week? Yeah, Lost he struggled. The they didn't. They didn't have a good week. Even Brett knows what happened. <laughs> they didn't See? have a very good week. Come on, they lost to the Titans. But he's back at it this Monday night against the Fighting Mono Jets, who, <laughs> who like everybody on the team is either sick or injured right. or something all going right. on so, with so, them. So, so you mentioned this before the show, and all, all all I can say is, if they beat the Jets, you know what that's like. I'm afraid that, to hear what that's like. Jeff. That's that's like a 25 year old beating up a 90 year old man. If you lose, it's embarrassing, and if you win, you were kind of supposed to, right? Okay. So come on. So do you feel better now that you got that out? I just I just don't see Brett. The who's Browns. your suicide pool this week? Since I haven't su- really picked yet, but it's survivor after Jeff pool. Said that, I'm thinking about the Browns. Oh, you're going with the Browns this week? I think. Don't hold me to it. I haven't really picked yet. Jeff, what do you think about that pick? <laughs> do it. Do it. <laughs> I just love the fact that you do, left. Just do it. <laughs> hey, by, by the way, we haven't said it on the air. There will be yeah. tickets in the coming weeks. Uh, I'm going to get to do a sit-down with former Major League Baseball Commissioner Bud Selig. There you go. October 30th. Mm-hmm. He's got a new book out. Uh, so there's a book festival. And Jeff, you're going to help me prep and so I don't look foolish and have questions? Absolutely throw things at me when mm-hmm. you don't like the way I ask something. Actually, it, sh- it should be very interesting because the book that he's written is very candid and, and Bud Selig has kind of always been that reserved guy. That's right? what surprised so, me the most sort of reading the reviews about it. I'm, I'm waiting for them to get me the book, but it seems like he really opens up about a lot of the issues that people have asked questions about and I'm pretty excited to be able to get to ask him. I gotta be honest. I'm, I'm like making a list I'm at glad home. he's not calling into the show. Why? Because Brett would probably call him like <laughs> Bob or something like that. 
Bud is a hard. That's name. all we would need is the commissioner of baseball. Oh my goodness, that'd yeah. be terrible. Yeah, he asked for my name. He's like, "What's your name?" I'm in trouble. <laughs> oh my goodness! Can you imagine what he what would he call Faye Vincent? I mean, we could go through the, the kids, list, we, right? We know how Brett's able to butcher names. Uh-huh. That's a whole nother show segment <laughs> in itself. Uh, what are you expecting this Sunday night? Eagles play at eight o'clock, eight twenty, actually in Atlanta. Atlanta had a terrible game last week, getting blown out by Minnesota. Did not look good at all. Right. What are your is thoughts? Julio, is Julio Jones playing? He's going to play. Yeah. Um, they have some offensive line issues, though. Yes, their, they do. Their first round pick is out. I don't think their defense is very good either. I think we're going to see I'm what not they are. Impressed. They have new coordinators. They right. have players coming back from injury. So I'm not sure what that team really How is yet. How far has that team fallen since that Super Bowl loss? It they, they really, I don't think they've, they've recovered. Just, that's it. I, I do not think that they ever recovered. You know, they always say there's a letdown the next year, but I think that team just fell apart. But look, I mean, no team wants to go to start season 0-2, so mm-hmm. they're going to come home and they're going to play well at home. Uh, the Eagles have played well against Julio Jones. They He's given gotten yardage in their recent contest, mm-hmm. but not as many touchdowns. And you're saying that because you probably have them on your fantasy team. I do have them on my fantasy team. Oh, my team. God. Seriously? Yes. That's why... <laughs> Yes, I'm, uh, you, I'm, you are, I'm you uniquely are so aware. so transparent. Uh, uh, says the guy who stayed up last <laughs> night to watch a game with a player that's on his team that's on the bench. I'm the transparent one here. It's called is, scouting. Is that oh, right? scouting? Okay, is that what this is? Uh huh. You got a pick this week for the game for the Eagles game. Yes, last week you thought by over ten you were wrong. How are you going to be wrong this week? Thirty-one twenty-seven. You think they win? That's yeah. actually where, around uh-huh. where I thought I thought it'd be a higher. But sp- it'll be another one where the Eagles it won't be as close as the score looks, and then the Falcons will score late. I did want to give close. you a chance before we get off the air. I am going to go down to the Union game tomorrow night, so we'll see if we get any audio. Like I said to Alexi, what I mean, what you're, you're going to see, I would. Pre- I'm predicting that I don't know if they have a decibel meter that loudest game that they have ever had there i think so jeff one minute left so you get 40 seconds of it ohio state can have the word the and lebron can have taco tuesday say something good taco tuesday i don't care about lebron's just a dingbat Uh, as far as ohio state are you just walking around saying the the that's right for uh, (laughs) as someone who went to the university of michigan and you went to the rutgers university we should actually rutgers is the state university of the jersey there you go well now you can use it but but i think it was trevor noah it's who alexi brought up before or no albert brought up before i think he went through like like they crossed out all the words the and what what sentences would look like if if you took that all out there were so many more things i wanted to talk about it, it was the dumbest trademark application in history. You're not a fan? No. And, I, and it came from Ohio State, which just made it worse. I've got more I want to talk to you, but we're pretty much Phillies? out of time. Phillies justify failed a drug test before the Triple Crown. They're going to pass pro players you in know, California. We're going to have to do like a post-show thing where we can, we'll just continue it on YouTube or something. All right. We'll like have that. to go there. Thanks so much yeah. for joining us this week. Make sure to join us next Friday night to help you start your weekend in style. Have a great one. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.